What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where Hillbilly Kobe, more like him, Billy Kobe. Because thanks to Austin Reeves' late game heroics, the Lakers are now up 1 0 to the Memphis Grizzlies. And last night's game, now that's an instant classic, instant rewind kind of game. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And Tommy, what a game. One of the most exciting, most well-balanced Lakers playoff games I can remember in recent memory. 128-112 win for the Lakers, now up 1-0 against their Series 1 opponent, the Memphis Grizzlies. Four Lakers scored 20-plus points in a playoff game. That hasn't happened since the Showtime Lakers. Five Lakers scored 19-plus points if you include D'Angelo Russell, D'Lo, Reeves, Rui, AD, and LeBron. AD compiles seven blocks, three steals, ten total stocks for a game. And Rui Hachimura makes history with the most points off the bench in Lakers franchise history in the playoffs, tying Michael Thompson in 1988 when I was born. Let's start things off this way, Tommy. What was one or two of your favorite plays from yesterday's Lakers win? I think by far my favorite, and there was many, right? But just to, just to pick one. There was one, many. <laughs> just to pick one was uh, retaking, you know, he had hit a few threes at this point, right? And then he got he gets the ball on the perimeter. He sort of gives us a little pump fake and then takes Jaron Jackson Jr., who's, by the mm. way, like a defensive player of the year candidate, like, off the dribble right to the rack and just yams it in his face. That that yes. was pretty sick. And then he lets out the primal scream, like jogging back, right? Um yeah. man, you stole mine. But so I I wanted <laughs> to highlight that play too, because for Rui particularly, 
I feel like you can tell based off of that one play, the type of game he was having, right? If we just isolated that one play and we asked someone off the streets, like, what kind of game do you think Rui had today? You know, they would see that aggressive dunk, that very aggressive, intentional, purposeful dunk over JJJ and probably say, Rui's probably having a really good game. Turns out, Tommy, he probably had the best game of his career (laughs) yesterday, you know? Considering the stakes as well, I mean, 29 points, what was he, like 11 for 15 from the field or something like that? I know he was 5 of 6 from 3, definitely a career high regular season-wise or or playoff-wise. But yeah, I think that play was just indicative of how much Rui was feeling himself yesterday at that point. And again, you know Rui is feeling himself when he's so decisive with the ball. And the fact that he took it off the dribble went in the lane against traffic and then yammed it on JJJ. Yeah, that that play was everything. Um, I think for me, this is kind of a random play because this is the play that I did not like because I was like, it was one of those, no, 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 what do you do in plays? But it ended up working out for us. So I believe this was in the fourth quarter, I think within five minutes. But if you remember, LeBron James had the ball in his hands at like the left key uh, three-point line. And he pulls up for like a 38-footer, Tommy. And I'm just like, what are you doing? And this is a crucial moment in the game, right? I think we're either down like two points or we're up two points. Either way, it's a close game. And LeBron James hasn't been hitting it all night. He pulls up for this 38-footer. And my girlfriend was next to me. And I was like, what the heck? And then he swishes it. And I was like, okay. And I think from that point on, that sort of helped clinch our hold on the game. And then from that point on, it was the Austin Reeves show. But just the fact that LeBron James was struggling from three and he had the balls. I mean, he always has the balls because he's the king. That shot could have gone either way, obviously. But just the fact that he hit it was huge. And then I guess for a more intentional good play, I'd probably give it to Rui's spinning pass in the post after being doubled for the Austin Reeves three. That was a big play, too. And by the way, I think that's the first time Rui's ever been doubled in the fo- in the post in a crucial game situation. <laughs> yeah, so probably since Gonzaga. Since Gonzaga, it was so nuts, and that almost looked like a turnover. But the fact that he did this one eighty spin to a wide open Austin Reeves three, and then Austin Reeves drained it, um, huge, huge play. Um, but let's get into our macro thoughts of the game coming into yesterday's game, game one. Did you think we were going to win, or how are you feeling coming into yesterday's game? Because Alan and I had potted last week, and while we both had the Lakers winning the series at the end of it, maybe seven games or so, we both had them losing game one. Namely because that's kind of been the Lakers' MO in the LeBron James era, i.e. losing that first game. And it's also kind of been LeBron James' MO his entire career, losing game ones in a classic feel-out sort of first game, and and then on top of that, just the age factor of the Lakers possibly not being ready for the Grizzlies' youth and athleticism, even though the Lakers have played a more recent high-intensity game than the Grizzlies had with the play-in against the Timberwolves. But yeah, did you? how did you feel going into yesterday's game? And then let's kind of just generally talk without going into the specifics about game flow and how that game felt to you, because man, I was grinning from ear to ear by the end of it. Yeah, so I think, okay, so how about this? Going going cold into it, like you asked me yesterday morning, you know, before the game, like how do I feel things are going to go? I thought, you know, scheduled loss, maybe too strong. But I think like, you know, it, it was 
definitely more on that side than I had any confidence about winning. And, you know, I think you characterize it, which is probably fair, is our guys need to feel things out. And, you know, it seems like we sort of coast and and it takes us a while to get locked in. I think, yeah, maybe that's part of it. I guess I was less worried about that for like a road playoff game when these guys, LeBron and AD haven't been in the playoffs for like two years, effectively. Um, you know, I th- I thought that maybe that would help. I think that like our, our roster, especially our vets, like they do want to feel the game out a little bit more. And, you know, beyond our vets, it's like, it's, it's a pretty steep drop after like LeBron, AD, Schroeder down to, you know, their young guys in terms of who has playoff experience. So I thought like these would all sort of be factors and, you know, Memphis mm-hmm. playing at home and down some guys like they would be pretty fired up. So the first quarter, I was surprised. I thought that we came out and, and yeah. gave them a punch. Second quarter, things sort of regressed to where I thought it was going to be. And then you sort of come out of halftime thinking like, the third quarter is going to define how this game goes. And they came out and they were sort of mediocre seeming. I think the one hidden uh, or the one aspect of the third quarter that people don't talk about is when we were sort of like fluttering to stay above water. D'Angelo Russell really like yep. took over the game and was able to make some very, very clutch shots, like some key passes and and uh, just just overall felt like he was keeping control of the game when like nobody else had any control over it on our side. And then once we hit this like spurt where we started getting some stops and we sort of figured out what Memphis wanted to do and, you know, maybe their perimeter shooting cool just a little bit. It just like, we just completely ran all over them. (laughs) And and yeah, I mean like the way that that game closed was epic. I mean the miss, the final score is a little misleading because it was pretty close until the final, like two minutes. Um, and then, of course, we had that, like, eight points of just, like, runaway dunks because we were just, like, <laughs> destroying them at that point. But, you know, it, was, it, it it did not go how I expected. I was pleasantly surprised. I think, like, look, you know, it's nice to get excited. We'll see, like, game two, was this for real? Like, Rhea's is probably not going to score 29 points again, right? But was his efficiency for real? Was his defensive intensity for real? Was, you know, his confidence taking the open threes for real? Like, kind of same questions with Austin. Um do those things come back this time uh, or for game two and in any capacity? And if they do, that'll, that'll tell me a lot. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, same with me. I thought it was going to be one of those classic LeBron James feel out games and to come out the way that they did. You, you talked about how the final score is not indicative of how the game went. I felt like the score up until the last five minutes where the game was close or even the portions of the game where the Memphis Grizzlies were up by six points, I felt like that score wasn't indicative of how the game went because it felt like to me like 80% of the game, the Lakers had this team in a chokehold, you know? And the way that we came out with such intensity, Tommy, it looked like we were punking the hell out of these dudes, you know? (laughs) eighty. 80s weak side blocks LeBron James chase down blocks we look bigger we look stronger we look more prepared for them um so I don't want to bury the lead here but obviously AD had that injury scare to his shoulder you know to end the first half and that was definitely a concern I guess I was a little bit less concerned because it seemed like such a it really seemed like a stinger like a random thing there wasn't one acute thing where it seemed like his shoulder got pulled by JJJ or whatever and thank god that it was a stinger and then obviously the drama rant thing happens with the the charging call and he falls on his wrist which looked awful 
and you're kind of reminded how much luck you need in any playoff run, you know? Yeah. And that's going to be another big factor for game two, whether or not Ja can play. It doesn't seem like he can play. But even taking those things, you know, out of the picture, yeah, I was just surprised at how imposing we were to start the game. And one key thing that helped us, you know, kind of maintain our control and composure is the fact that we didn't have any turnovers till like the five minute mark of the second quarter, right? The Lakers really took care of the ball. And I was so surprised um, at just how precise they were. I mean, Austin Reeves had zero turnovers. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously LeBron James committed a turnover. And then from there, it was a snowball of turnovers to end the half. And then we were kind of reeling. But overall, I mean, the key to this game for me was the defense, the help defense, As I mentioned, AD with the 10 stocks, LeBron James with like two or three chase down blocks, really punking Desmond Bain. Um, And then obviously Jared Vanderbilt on John Morant really harassed Morant with his length, helped cause six turnovers. And then credit to the team as well for helping soft crowding John Morant anytime he got into the mid range. We we completed my game plan that I told Alan about last week where I was like, we got to let Dylan Brooks be Dylan Brooks. We got a Westbrook Dylan Brooks and we did. He was two for nine from three. (laughs) Keep letting him do that, you know? And then in the fourth quarter, we let Austin Reeves do his thing. LeBron James and AD playing decoy essentially, which is crazy. And we'll get to Reeves in his own section in a bit. Um, The last thing I want to point out is, you know, I've given this guy a lot of flack throughout the season, but Darvin Ham had a pretty good coaching game. Outside of that one portion where he kept Vando out on the court even after Morant had exited into the locker room, I thought the rest of the game he adapted pretty well, and I thought he limited Schroeder to just the right amount of minutes. 20 minutes, that's great. Um, I do think we need to stagger LeBron. So he's been doing a a good job staggering guys, like whether it's LeBron James, Austin Reeves, Anthony Davis, and D'Angelo Russell. But now, Tommy, I think he needs to take that one step up and stagger two guys together if that makes sense because there was a unit there where it was just lebron james and then his secondary ball handler was schroeder and i don't think that's good enough right now at least as lebron james is finding his rhythm it should be lebron plus delo lebron plus reeves or lebron plus ad it shouldn't just be lebron plus schroeder and the bench guys you know what i mean so anything else you want to add yeah no and i think i've been saying that for a couple weeks actually it it should you know, when you typically look at these teams with a big two or a big three, the idea is you want one of them on the court at all times. So like, you know, obviously LeBron AD, you want one of them on the floor at all times. I think the wrinkle here is the Austin and D'Lo play. They've been so good consistently and so frankly interchangeable in many ways that the rules should really uh, shift to one of LeBron and AD and one of LeBron, excuse me, one of Austin and D'Angelo on the court at all times. Um, that is going to make a substantial difference. It also works in the sense that like you can play Dennis with either of those guys in the backcourt. It's it's one thing that's been nice about the versatility of our backcourt is is we have the ability to do that. And and I guess, you know, you didn't specifically mention this, but one interesting thing to look forward to in this series is if Ja doesn't play at least next game, you know, game two, like presumably that means Jared Vanderbilt's minutes go a little bit down and we even have some interchangeability there between him and re because we can go to an offensive option there instead of just a pure defensive option which is kind of nice yeah true and i don't know if you noticed this but there was actually a lineup where Rui and vanderbilt were out there on the court at the same time which was interesting i felt like it was 
LeBron, Rui, and Vanderbilt were out and there Rui for a portion. And Rui was like the five, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it was very interesting. A very interesting wrinkle. Um, before we take it to break and get to Rui, Reeves, D'Lo, especially Rui and Reeves, the two guys of the hour, two men of the hour. Your quick thoughts on how Anthony Davis and LeBron James sort of, yeah, kind of set the foundation for Reeves and Rui to do their thing, which is kind of crazy. But really, it was on the defensive end that Anthony Davis really set the tone. And I don't know if he's ever had seven blocks in a playoff game. No, that was his career high. I, I Yeah, which makes sense. He was yeah. so dominant defensively. He was also beasting offensively in the first half. Obviously, when the shoulder thing happened, that kind of dampened things a little bit. And he was less in the offensive flow in the second half. But also, we kind of didn't need him to be because Rui was just knocking out every three-pointer. But from the defensive end, Anthony Davis was the defensive player of the year. LeBron James took some time to get there as well. Outside of the chase down blocks, there were some half-court sets that he was taking plays off, which is to be expected. But in terms of being the help defender and cleaning up stuff for us in transition, I mean, LeBron James showed us how serious he was about this game. He was going to try and contribute positively in any way that he could. Now, obviously, the turnovers for LeBron were a problem, but I liked that he was cleaning up the glass. He had like 11 rebounds. As I mentioned, he finally got some threes to fall in the end. And Kind of to his credit, I think he should be given credit for this. He cleared the floor for Reeves in the fourth quarter to do his thing. You know, he didn't force it. He said, Reeves, Anthony Davis, spam the pick and roll. I'll just hang out here on the on the wings, which is crazy. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like Anthony Davis and LeBron James really led the charge on the defensive end. And also just as, in general, just calming presence throughout the whole game. And the encouraging part is I feel like the best is yet to come, obviously, for LeBron James, but also Anthony Davis on the offensive end. Although I'm not sure if Anthony Davis can do better than seven blocks and three steals, but I'm sure they're going to have some new schemes and plans for JJJ. But your thoughts on AD and LeBron in tandem? Yeah, AD and LeBron. I I felt like AD had the better game uh, between the two, which may be unremarkable to say. But, you know, I think the interesting thing... AD gets a lot of flack for not being aggressive. I, you know, if you've watched the regular season and are just, you know, if you're just tuning, tuning into the playoffs, I guess the regular season obviously is just officiated in a very different way. AD actually took 17 shots, which I feel like that's him being aggressive. He, a few of those should have been fouled and had more free throw opportunities. He only took two free throws, which is like well below what he averages in the season. Yeah. You give him three more free throws, he had a 25-point game, and maybe people look at his offensive output like a little bit differently. But, I mean, to your point, we didn't really need it. I think LeBron actually played... Oh, and I guess another thing I'll say about AD is you really start to see like the value of someone like AD and how it becomes like sort of silly that... We don't have, we don't necessarily as like, you know, a basketball fan community put him in the, you know, perennial discussion for defensive player of the year. But when it comes to like playoff ball and these tightened rotations and these tightened like offensive scheme concepts that like everyone starts to run, like AD is a guy you want on the floor 40 minutes a game. Um, He can shut down anyone. He shuts Mm -hmm. down at multiple levels. He can guard at the perimeter. He can guard the rim. Like you mentioned, the 10 stocks, seven blocks was a career high for him in, in the playoffs. Um, Memphis actually had like an outlier, like pretty good shooting perimeter shooting game for them. They're not that much better than us. I think they're one or two slots above us, you know, and obviously we got much better as the season went on as a three point shooting team. Um, they hit 13 threes yesterday, which is more than what they typically hit at a higher percentage than 
what they typically do. So, you know, as the series wears on, and especially if Jaw continues to play and is maybe going to be limited with his wrist, what he can do from the perimeter, like AD's ability to guard the paint is just going to be so valuable. Um, LeBron, I actually thought, did not have a very good game until the fourth quarter, maybe end of the third, beginning of fourth Mm -hmm. quarter. Um, You mentioned the three-point shot that he hit. It sort of felt like, you know, I think up until that point, he was like one for seven. I mean, he was like one for six or he, he, he I think he started over five and then hit three in a row um, from three, yeah. which and we needed all three of those, by the way. But the interesting thing with him, right, is he by the way, he had five stocks, three blocks and two steals, which, you know, yeah. was a nice defensive effort from him. Um and really what you kind of remember is like, this is what LeBron did in the playoffs in, in 2019-20. He like kind of ramped it up to another level in mm. uh, in terms of his defense. The difference now is what happened at the end of this game. And I'm not saying this is going to happen every game, but LeBron's ability to, he's never had this, right? Short of like maybe his time with Kyrie Irving, where you give the ball to a, a guard and just let them run the offense. And LeBron basically stands on the side like a spot up shooter. <laughs> and I just yeah. like, I mean, three and D LeBron until like I, for the rest of my life, this one of the trippiest like experiences is just like watching a game live and realizing that LeBron James, like one of the greatest players of all time has been relegated to like a spot up shooter by Austin Reeves. And that was like a team decision that was like for the benefit of, you know, of, of the team. And it paid off by the way, but those types of moments where LeBron can gather his energy, like playing off of D Mm -hmm. playing off of Reeves. That's why like making this trade for, uh, you know, to get rid of Russ and bring in D and these other guys was, was really so valuable because, you know, those guys can can do that. Those guys are like modern NBA threats in terms of they can score at three levels. They can pass their low turnovers, um, you know, and, and steady ball handlers. And like we couldn't do that with Russ, right? The whole point of bringing in Russ, and and that's maybe just a knock on how our roster was put together. But the whole point of bringing in Russ was to allow these types of situations, and it was just never going to work. Um, and and now we have guys who can play with the ball off of LeBron better than, you know, he's probably had in his entire career, you know, short of like Kyrie, as, as I was saying. Yeah, and now we're afforded the game two hopeful potential LeBron explosion where he does hit five, six threes. You know, not saying that's going to happen, but the fact that his role players sort of carried him to this game one win, helped him preserve some energy. Now he's got two days off. Maybe we do get that bang-out performance from LeBron James who senses the gravity of the situation with John Morant potentially out, and he's like, yo, we could come back to L.A. up 2-0. Let's grab this by the horns, you know? Like, I would love to see that. Um, But yeah, AD and LeBron set the tone. LeBron James clear feel-out for him in a vacuum, but look at his team. Didn't matter. We still pulled it through at the end. We've got the win now, and we'll see if the King can... Take us through to a game two win against the Memphis Grizzlies on Wednesday. But with that said, let's take it to break. And when we return, let's talk about the two big guns, Rui and Reeves, and uh, close it out from there. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so we are back. Tommy, instant Rui wine. Let's talk about Rui Hachimura, the leading scorer of the Lakers yesterday. 29 points. I kind of joked about it, like, maybe by the end of the third quarter, I was like, oh, man, look at Rui Hachimura. He's doing his little Trey Lyles supreme thing here. Because if anybody watched the Kings game won against the Golden State Warriors, Trey Lyles in, like, 16 minutes put up 16 points and hit four threes, right? So I was just making this joke that, oh, Rui Hachimura is doing his Trey Lyles thing. And then he just kept hitting more threes after that. (laughs) You know, typically from Rui, we expect... At most, maybe he hits three threes, but the fact that he went five of six, and a lot of them are very wide open. It's clear the Memphis Grizzlies game planned for it to be that way, and Rui made them pay. But to your point about Rui not just being a spot-up three-point shooter this game, like defensively, throughout the first half, he was bringing it. He was bringing the physicality. He was banging down low with JJJ, even though JJJ got the advantage on him. And actually, before Rui started splashing these threes, to start off the game, he was actually playing a sort of gritty, muck-it-up type game in the paint, you know? He was getting a lot of offensive rebounds, getting putbacks, and then in the third quarter is when he started really hitting those threes. And Tommy, I don't know what happened, but I don't know what happened in between when the regular season ended and the play-in game, but Allen pointed this out last week, but... It seems like they told Rui to add some extra arc on his shot, like even just a little bit. And ever since he's done that, he's been nailing it from three-point land. You know, he's given that shot more of a chance, and it's been pure and smooth. And so, yeah, what a game from Rui Hachimura. We're just seeing his growth right before our eyes in rapid speed. And I thought the extent of that was the play-in game where he showed out. You know, was he hit a clutch three in overtime, and I thought maybe that's it. But... No, Rui still has more to give. You mentioned his aggressive play down the lane for that one-handed crusher jam. Um, His primal scream in the moment felt so cathartic. And it last night just felt like Rui fully realizing his incredible Hulk potential from pretty much every level. Defensively, running in transition, slamming it down on JJJ. He had his Kawhi Leonard moment where he kind of waved D'Angelo Russell off at the perimeter and took Desmond Bain down low for the spinning fadeaway turnaround J. And all of these things, all of these were clutch moments, right? Including the pass to Austin Reeves. So yeah, what were your thoughts on Mr. Rui Hachimura, who's, I don't know, he's made himself more money (laughs) just in the last few weeks. And I, I texted you, but Man, if Rui can give us some bubble Markeef with upside this playoff run, that's going to be huge. Because as you know, in 2019-20, Markeef Morris was our leading three-point shooter at 42%. Not saying Rui Hachimura will sustain that if we go long, but if he can give us 38 to 40% from three while giving us this defensive upside and continuing to come into his own physically, that's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. I wouldn't count on the three-point shooting to to stick, even at the 38 to 40%. I mean... Sure. I mean, he was wide open. Yeah, yeah. He was wide open. Teams will adjust. And frankly, he'll regress. Like, look, I still think Rui has upside as a shooter that has is untapped. I mean, you mentioned the, like, a little bit of arc on his jumper. I haven't studied it closely enough, but I know when he was being recruited out of Gonzaga, right? Like his issue with his jumper and the reason why it becomes less efficient the further away he gets from the basket is 
he tends at, and I say tends at, at least, at least as of like a couple of months ago to like release the ball when he's on the way down. Um, mm. that makes the shot like come super, like go super flat towards the rim. And, and I think like, you know, when you're shooting from 15 feet away, like you don't, you have like more margin for error when you're shooting from 25 feet away, you have less. Right. So Rui can hit from the mid range, which gives me some confidence that the three will improve over time. But, you know, maybe we can chalk up the, the, uh, shooting here as like an outlier. I mean, he's, he had some games where he hit three, four threes, you know, three or four threes during the season. And then, you know, would go like one for four for five games in a row. So, so we'll see what happens there. But I think the thing that has actually impressed me more than anything else with him is we sort of like knew when we got him, this is like an offensive guy. Um, he can really play defense now. And and I give like yeah. Phil Handy a lot of credit for this. It's like funny when we got him, I remember thinking like, and we talked about this on the pod, like he will, well, who knows what he's going to do this year. Um, we, you know, anything he does this year, I guess it's just sort of feeling out for what it's going to be like in the future. And we're going to get him on like a decent market deal. And maybe over the course of that deal, he develops into like a Kyle Kuzma sort of impact player defensively. He went from being regarded as like not a very, I mean, he wasn't like not the worst defender, but certainly not regarded as a good defender to just being a complete monster. I mean, we're putting him consistently on like opposing teams, big men um, to kind of spell Anthony Davis and let Anthony Davis play like the roaming free safety type of role. Um, Yeah, that was something I did not anticipate when we made this trade (laughs) that we would be playing playoff round one against, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. and consistently going to Rui against him. Um, When we made the Vanderbilt trade, I was like, I guess this is the end of Rui Hachimura with the Lakers. Um, But he again, he he showed that he could play defense and he gives you a little bit something a little bit different than what Vanderbilt gives and that he can, you know, he can do things offensively. Um, I, I just I can't say enough good things about him. I've been so, so impressed. He's going to get himself paid. You know, it's just yeah. the question is, again, it's like we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves as Laker fans. I mean, there are games that, like there have been games that we've seen in playoffs where a guy comes in and drops 30 and we're like, oh, my God, someone's going to give him a max. And then he scores like five points a game for the rest of the playoffs. <laughs> so like, let's we'll, we'll be patient and we'll see. But the one thing I will say that I, I'm I feel confident about is his defense is like that's just effort and intensity and He's learning on that end, and that is going to be there. The offense will come and go, but the defense, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about. I think there have been, in the last couple of games that Rui has played, he's had at least one block where he pins it to the glass, and yeah. I think both of those times they've been called incorrectly. They've been called offensive interference, right, or goaltending. Yeah. And so just to show you, and I think the most encouraging part too is like, this isn't coming out of nowhere. It's kind of been trending this direction for Rui, right? And it just all came to a head uh, in last night's game versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, All right. So going from Rui Hachimura to the man of the hour, the closer, him BK, Austin Reeves, 23 points, four assists, zero turnovers, eight of 13 from the field. I mean, every time I want to say Austin Reeves will regress, there's a scouting report out on him now, teams will adjust. He continues to buck the trend. Yes, he'll have a game or two where he has to adjust to the way that teams are scheming against him, but he always bounces back. He was not shy of the moment. I think he had like nine points in the last three minutes of the fourth. Endless pick and roll spamming with with Anthony Davis against the Grizzlies drop coverage. 
snaked the pick and roll, killed the Grizz in the mid-range, killed them for going under the screen with the three-point shots. He didn't even go to the foul line a ton of times either. He only went four times, right? But 8 of 13, 3 of 5 from 3. He's crafty, but he also has that added physicality and strength that D'Lo doesn't have and is more durable. So... I don't know, you almost get, you, you get the craftiness that D'Lo has with Austin Reeves, but then you also get this Jeremy Lin aspect where he's not afraid to bang down low, you know, and like drive it into the lane and get that body contact and finish. And he is our X factor. And last night was legitimately, you know, our second best player. It almost seemed like the Grizz were caught off guard, not having to guard LeBron James in the clutch. So I think they'll be better prepared next time, obviously, but for one game, Austin Reeves the hero in the biggest game of his career, and I feel like we're going to keep saying that for Austin Reeves. The next biggest game, here's another biggest game of Austin Reeves' career, and it was just incredible what we what we were seeing. It almost felt kind of like Linsanity, right? Where every play down, Austin Reeves is either getting the assist or he's hitting the bucket, going to the free throw line. He's making stuff happen. That, you know, wrap around behind the back pass to Rui Hachimura for three, that was transcendent (laughs) um but yeah your thoughts on austin reeves it's so funny how like how like you know nba fans are finally coming around to realizing how just objectively good austin reeves is and it's not just like it's a meme white boy who happens to play with lebron and his stats get inflated i mean austin in yeah it was a small sample size of five games but in the last five games of the season in april his shooting splits were 60, 61, 52, 90. Um, and he scored 20 points a game with those splits. Even in April, which, or excuse me, March, a much bigger sample size, he averaged 17 points a game for the entire month of March, shooting 55%, 38% from three, and 84% from the line, you know, while averaging nearly six assists on, you know, with a two to one assist to turnover ratio. So, or better than two to one. Um, so, you know, it's it's just like crazy how good this guy's become. I think we talked at some point during the season, um, you know, sort of analyzing where Austin falls in his draft class. If there was a redraft, I think there's like a really strong argument. I mean, I, I don't even think I think it, there is a strong argument that Austin would be a top five player in that redraft um, of that mm-hmm. class. And we got him as an undrafted free agent. So, I mean, you just you can't that's just a gift from, from God. And you got to just like take advantage (laughs) of it. And and I think we are, um, we're going like, we're, there's no contract that, you know, someone could offer this guy that we're not going to match. I know there's like the poison pill max or whatever. We're matching that. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So it's like, we're giving this guy whatever money he he is, you know, wants and is able to get, I guess from a third party because third parties can offer him more than we can, but he's going to be a Laker for a long time. And people should be very, very excited because this is not just like a good role player. This guy's legitimately going to be like our third best player. Like moving forward, I mean, (laughs) D'Angelo, again, I sort of like use him interchangeably with D'Angelo because I don't want to, I don't want to knock D'Angelo too much because it's like you almost, it's like you, you put down the guy who has done it already and bring up this new guy, you know, so D'Angelo's already done it. Um, And so with Austin, maybe it's a little more exciting because he's so young and new, but um those two guys as like a foundation of our backcourt is just, it's just like going to make such a big difference for our franchise moving forward. And 
I, you can't ask for more than what Austin gives you, um, both on both sides of the floor. You know, like I said, starting shooting guard in the playoffs as an undrafted player who's hit, you know, damn near putting up 50, 40, 90 shooting splits, you know, three to one is just a turnover ratio and playing defense, by the way, like in, in by many metrics, like elite defense, um, you know, so it's just like it, it. It's he's just so good, and and yes, he's not going to score. Like I said, with Ree, he's not going to score twenty three every night. He's not going to be like taking over the game down the stretch when you have LeBron and AD every single night. But to even show that that's like an option is is pretty impressive um, at this stage for him. I mean, he might not score twenty three, but he might get eighteen. That's essentially his average since the All Star break, true, which true, is insane. True. And it it kind of like Rui, but even to a more extreme extent and longer extent, this didn't just come out of nowhere. Austin Reeves has been doing this for the last three months. And by doing this, I mean, Tommy, when LeBron James was out, they also went to him to create down the stretch. You know what I mean? And that was one thing that I told Alan that I was kind of encouraged about heading into this playoff season where I was kind of concerned at how Austin Reeves would respond to other teams scheming for him. And my one counter point to that to my own argument was, well, Austin Reeves has been playing in a situation where every next game has been the most important game of his life with regards to our playoff chances, right? And the fact that the team is relying on him to help pull us through. So in actuality, Austin Reeves has sort of been living in this high-intensity playoff space for a while, right? So he can almost psych himself into a place where it's like, this isn't anything new. I've been doing this the last two months for this team. And it's just crazy that the lights are brighter. He's on the road. Everybody is now keyed in on him. And he's still stepping up and finding new ways to surprise us, which is insane. Again, game two will be the true test because now everybody is talking about Austin Reeves. How is he going to respond to a Grizzlies team that is probably going to be hell-bent to try and stop him? Well, hopefully Austin Reeves does what he always does and is just the smart player he is and lets LeBron James go to work or whatever, you know? All right, to close this show, let's talk about D'Angelo Russell. 19 points, four rebounds, seven assists, two turnovers, one steal. For me, I thought this was a great D'Angelo Russell game in terms of it was a great grind through it, sheer will yourself into being a positive contributor game for D'Lo. And if you contrast that to his playing a game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, where he played pretty listless and outside of eight assists, one turnover, he really did not impose his will on the game. In comparison to that, this was night and day. D'Angelo missed his first couple shots, some of which were wide open. He started off one of five, but even in spite of that, I just liked that he kept attacking. He kept driving it into the paint to find other people to try and lay it in, um, He had a solid end to the first half with like 12 points, three rebounds, three assists. And yeah, even when his shot wasn't falling, he stayed aggressive. And he had some really nice passes to AD for a dunk in the lane. He had a transition bounce pass to Rui for a dunk. Had a great post-entry pass to LeBron James for a lay-in to end the first half. And then like you mentioned, he really kept us afloat in that third quarter. And and then his shot just naturally started falling. And then, you know, when D'Angelo's feeling it, he starts to get a little bit more frisky with the ball. He's snaking the pick and roll. He's putting his guy in jail. And then he hit two really nice pull-up mid-range Jays on Desmond Bain that really helped keep our momentum, really helped keep the momentum on our side. And then he hit that tough baseline three off an Austin Reeves pass near the end of the third that really kept the pressure on the Grizzlies. And 
Yeah, I just really like that D'Lo rebounded from an inefficient start. And on my Twitter timeline, people were saying some crazy stuff, Tommy. Just because it's recency bias based off of the last play-in game that they saw D'Angelo Russell in against the Timberwolves, and then kind of looking back on his series against the Memphis Grizzlies last year, where he shot very inefficiently, he only had like 12 points, he only averaged 12 points. I think all of that carried into this game. And then when he started off one of five, people were like, yo, this isn't a D'Angelo game. Let's get Lonnie Walker in there. And I'm like, okay, let's get Lonnie let's, Walker in. let's calm down, guys. And, you know, even when D'Angelo is struggling, I, I really feel like this fan base, I can't believe I'm still in a position like seven years later from starting this podcast where we're defending D'Angelo Russell's ass, where I still have to defend his ass, where I'm like, are people just taking for granted how good this guy sets other people up, even when his shot isn't falling? Like, he's the only one who can make a standard post-entry pass, Tommy. And the fact that we came from Kendrick Nunn, Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook, Dennis Schroeder trying to make that pass, I'm kind of like, let's act like we've we've gained perspective with D'Angelo Russell, right? But I get it. I get it. Um, I get D'Angelo is still a polarizing player, but your thoughts on his rebound game? Well, because it's funny, right? Because you bring up the recency bias, which I definitely agree is a thing. Um, But beyond the recency bias, it's like just the bias of remembering who he was when he was first here and first here and then sort of forgetting that he's progressed so his first couple of seasons even his first season with Brooklyn I mean this guy was not even putting up his assist to turnover ratio was sub two to one it was like barely over one to one honestly his first couple of years so very you know questionable decision making um and, you know, these were like the the years where people were discussing whether this guy's actually even really a point guard, right? Flash forward to this year and the last couple of years, and he's creeping up to like pretty close to three to one assisted turnover ratio, which would be pretty elite. I think like you've seen that in all aspects of his game, like his shooting numbers have gone up the last two seasons or this season significantly. And I guess, you know, if you're a skeptic, maybe you point to the contract here. But if you're not, maybe you point to the fact that he's just learned how to make himself more efficient. It's not like his shot attempts have gone up. They've actually gone down. So he's like clearly like demonstrated that he can recognize what's a good shot. What's not a good shot. Uh, and, and, you know, more evidence of that is the fact that again, his decision-making with the ball has become so much better. So mm-hmm. uh, like I said, when, when he was, when we were in that like kind of iffy questionable, where's this game going to go stage of the third quarter, which was like probably the first half of the third quarter. D'Angelo kept us afloat and, you know, sort of the theme of what we've been talking about so far on this pod is we just have not had that many guys that we could rely on, on like these LeBron AD teams to keep the team afloat when AD is focused on, you know, managing the defense. LeBron is sort of finding his footing and is not the same, you know, scorer that he once was from an efficiency perspective. So who else is going to step up? And D'Lo really stepped up and he hit some tough shots. He hit some clutch shots and he's going to continue to be there all postseason. Um, he's not going to shy away from the big moments. You almost feel like he's going to get stronger as it goes because he's going to get more reps with LeBron and AD. And honestly, even with Austin now, like his new backcourt mate, like figuring yeah. out how they're going to work together, which I mean, it does seem like a seamless fit so far. But I, yeah, overall, very, very impl- impressed with D'Angelo. Um, I was not on the in the Lonnie Walker, <laughs> like, let's let's put Lonnie Walker in uh, camp. But I will say, like, you know, looking at his his numbers last year, other than the play-in game, which, like, those stats famously don't count, he did not have a, a great 
first round series against Memphis. They kind of took him out of everything he wanted to do. He had one other playoff series where he was okay, but he was like the primary focal point of that Nets team, um, you know, back in the day when he was in playoffs with them. I think there was probably some fear brewing among fans that like, okay, well, D'Angelo, like he had a, he's had a shaky playoff past. He had a shaky play in game. And when the first quarter started, it's like, he's just shaky. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's like, this is who he is. But you know, again, props to him for sticking it through. He got really good looks that he missed. And I thought that was going, especially since he got benched. I mean, like, let's just call it what it is. He literally got benched in the play in game. I thought we were heading that way. And again, props to him for sticking with it. Props to Darwin for not giving up on him after like a rocky first quarter. Um, And uh, he ended up having a huge bounce back game and was a huge, a huge reason why we won. Honestly, it's like it got overshadowed almost because re and Austin had such good games, but D'Lo was legit like our third best player for probably three quarters of the game. So. Yeah, I, I never saw it going that way, even after the benching in the play. And I was like, no, D'Angelo's coming back and he's going to come back in full force. And to add a little bit of context to his poor series against the Grizzlies last season, I actually looked up his games played against the Grizzlies that regular season prior. And the reason why he had such a poor Memphis Grizzlies series, Tommy, is because the Grizzlies schemed him out of that series because he played so well against them in the regular season. Gotcha. Now, I know regular season versus playoffs is a different thing, but you can still gain a lot of info, especially because last year they had Steven Adams, Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton, right? This year they don't have those guys. Last, last regular season, Tommy, D'Angelo had games of 30-7, and 28-5, and 29-6, and 6, 37 and 9. Okay? So he can do shit against this Grizzlies personnel. And the reason why he struggled so much is the Grizzlies decided D'Angelo Russell is not going to do to us what he did in the regular season this playoff series. And that's exactly what happened. But lo and behold, it's just... Well, lo and behold, D'Angelo Russell is now staggered correctly on this team, right? Where at times he's behind Austin Reeves in terms of primary initiating duties. And yeah, just props to D'Angelo for having that stick to throughout the game and also just being a great teammate. He's like the biggest fan out there on the court, mm-hmm. right? Celebrating literally every dude's Sometimes made shot. He celebrates it like the, the celebration he does where he puts both of his hands on his head. Like his mind is blowing. His yeah. mind is blown. I'm like, dude, just run back for God's sake. Please run back. <laughs> sometimes he does that or sometimes it's putting on the crown for lebron james right so it's just it's it's just awesome all around the vibes are immaculate the lakers are up 1-0 can't wait to potentially get 2-0 on wednesday with that said we will catch you guys next time what a fun first game and we hope the lit times the the lit vibes continue so yeah we forgot to say tommy it's lit it's lit all right i will catch you next time tommy see ya peace What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.